Hi everyone, welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast. This is episode 39, and this week I'm talking about Archangel's Legion, aka book number six in the Guilt Hunter series. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, don't worry, you know, you can read the book after you listen to the episode. It's cool, it's fine. Um, and then you can go back and, you know, read the other books. Um, it's perfectly all right. If you're not new to the podcast, welcome back. Uh, if you've been reading long, awesome sauce. If you haven't been reading long, also awesome sauce. Cause I mean, sometimes reading is hard. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, uh, difficult to focus. And so the words, they just, they do not, they do not compute. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, but yes, this is, um, the book that I'm focusing on this week. And as I normally do, uh, I'm going to try to talk about the book sort of in broad strokes, as spoiler free as I can get. And then I'm going to, you know, come back and then be like, oh my God, the spoilers. So if you hate spoilers and hearing spoilers makes you upset and want to cry and possibly, you know, shoot a crossbow into someone's face, you probably won't want to listen to that section. You'll want to listen to right, right, right now. If spoilers give you even more of a reason to read, make you even more excited to get into a book or, you know, and you've read the book, then like you can res- you, you'll be fine. At no point will you be like, who knew? Um, how dare you? Because you will have read this. You may have forgotten things I might bring up or you might be listening and be like, but she didn't even mention this because whatever it was that stuck out to you didn't stick out to me because like, you know, we individuals and we're all going to pull out different pieces from the same text because that is the magic. But anyway, time to start. All right. So we've got two main characters, of course, because it's a romance couple. Normally we're focused on one couple. Now, if you have been following along, uh, you're going to be like, oh, wait, wait, skirt, skirt. We've done this before with these two. And in case you're not sure, haven't read all that jazz, um, our main characters are Elena Devereaux and Raphael, the Archangel. You might be like, wait, what? (laughs) But weren't the first three books them two? They sure were. Book one, book two, and book three focused on Raphael and Elena. And then, of course, in book four, we followed Dimitri and Honor. And then in book five, we went to Jason and Bahia. But now, in book six, we return to Raphael and Elena. Here's the thing. I don't know if I would be okay with an author doing this if they weren't an Alini saying. Ah, if you're new, I'm a stan, okay? I'm an Alini Singh stan. I don't know if we have a name, um, but I am part of the fandom. Uh, So you're going to hear me be biased. I mean, I feel like once you read the books and you realize how brilliant they are, you'll understand why I'm biased. But like, it's okay. It's okay if you're like, no, actually, I'm ready to not disagree. It's fine. We're, you know, it's what makes us all unique. But anyway. I think what's really interesting about this series, because if you've read her side changeling series, she doesn't really do this at all in that series. Every single book is a brand new couple. 
doesn't necessarily mean it's characters you've never seen before, but it isn't the same pairing with a different facet of their relationship sort of under the microscope, I guess. Um, it literally, you know, it's like Lucas and Sasha and then Faith and Bond and then, you know, Judd and Brenna and so on and so forth. And Allegiance of Honor, I think, is the one book where we kind of get sort of like this overall overarching sort of tying up loose ends and, you know, see, you know, helping to seed what will become, you know, big in the second sort of arc, um, which is the Trinity, the side changeling Trinity arc. But we don't have like Lucas and Sasha and then Lucas and Sasha and then Lucas and Sasha and then, you know, no. But she does this with Gil- with the Guildhunter series. And I think part of I what I really do like about it, which, again, I need to think of if there are other authors where I like agree, like feel the same way, is that we get to see Raphael and Elena go from a couple who fall in love relatively quick. I mean, they fall in love within one book, you know, it's which again romance is the thing but it feels like like when that first book ends you're definitely left with a lot of questions and then book two picks up and you're like oh and so you start to see as these two people who are from such there are so many there are similarities in their backgrounds and then there are you know just differences that aren't even like Oh, I like, like, we're talking, like, power differential is crazy, right? Because Raphael is an archangel, literally one of the most powerful beings in the universe. Him and nine other motherfuckers have all the, like, have, have power on a level no one else can comprehend except each other kind of thing. And then homegirl Elena, like is his you know partner mate consort whatever and she ain't no archangel (laughs) so does she have that power no also age like he is a little i think just a little over a thousand years old oh no wait Raphael, i believe has been an archangel for a thousand years or something along those lines I don't know if his entire existence is just a thousand years. Can't be because Dimitri, sorry, but Dimitri has been a vampire for a thousand years. And so anyway, so he's just mad powerful and homegirl is like, "Eh, not on the same page. So book two, we sort of get to see more of how that look, what that looks like, what, what it looks like when two people have to sort of bring their lives together uh and we see even more of that development in book three so in book like book four and book five we you know we see glimpses of them but they're very small scenes all of a sudden we're back in book six and they are our focus and it feels right it makes sense um there is a lot happening in the world outside of their relationship that is really focused on the two of them because a lot of things are changing in the world and i'm going to talk about this a little bit in this section and then again in the spoiler section um 
reading, rereading this book right now, as we are all wherever we are in the world dealing with, you know, the effects of a global pandemic of which I'm assuming none of, I mean, none of us were probably around for, you know, the Spanish flu of 1918. Um, I mean, there may or may, you know, there may be people in your life who are 102 so could like maybe vaguely, but but then they would have been a, a literal newborn. So anyway, this is all something that we're all experiencing. And the what I thought was really interesting is it, especially I noticed it in this book, um, or maybe it just really stuck out to me, is this sort of the characters that we're reading, right? Raphael, Elena, Dimitri, um, Ilya. Out on like all of these characters that we've met and we've started to really like you know we got to get we got Jason's story and we're so happy for him and all that jazz are now having to navigate a world that is changing changing rapidly changing in drastic ways and there are really shit things on the horizon or you know have arrived like Things aren't hunky fucking dory. Things are going from bad to worse. Like motherfucker, what the fuck? You know what I mean? So, reading that, I'm sure. I mean, I know when I read it at the time when it first came out, I was like, oh my god, this is so good. Never once really thinking like, what would that look like for me, and you know, the rest of us when we are the ones dealing with you know, in real life, constant there, you know, we know that change is coming and there's so much happening quickly and dramatically. And there are, you know, so every, I feel like, I feel like it's probably a running joke or not even a joke at this point, running commentary of 2020 that it's like every single time that you think, oh, well, you know, like, I guess this is as crazy as the year is going to get something else happens. I mean, we had orange skies on the West Coast and it wasn't a movie set. <laughs> um, you know, there's been, you know, Hurricane Laura devastated like Charles. There is a a weather system thing called the derecho. It's not just, you know, to the right or straight in Spanish. It's actually a weather storm and it like devastated like parts of Iowa. Iowa? I believe it's Iowa. Shit. I'm pretty sure. So, so much has been happy. And and this is that I had forgotten, but this is the year that started with like the the potential for World War III to happen because a uh, homeboy was assassinated. So, so many things have happened within this year, aside from, you know, COVID 19, the corona. Um, and so, similar to the characters as you're reading, you are able to feel it's weird because it's no longer like me imagining like what that uncertainty would look like and feel like based on what I'm reading it's like oh yeah yeah (laughs) I know exactly what you girl yes yes me too me me too um I think also this series has always sort of struck accord uh, in me in that the side changeling series is set you know the main u.s city that's a focus 
as San Francisco, there is like, you know, they do sometimes come to the East Coast, to New York. Max was originally um, a New York uh, detective, was going out west, and there are scenes um, like in Ivy Jane and Vasek's book, they do spend time on the East Coast, New York specifically, but the Guild Hunter series, Raphael is the Archangel of North America and New York City is his city. Right? He rules New York City. He has angels who rule other parts of his territory, but New York City is his core, is his base. And I will say this. Um, I think that Nalini has done a really, really good job of capturing sort of the essence of what New York City is. A lot of people, you know, are going to be like the grittiness. And and yes, but she's able to capture, at least for me, um, the feeling of how New Yorkers are just the kind of people who like crazy shit happens. And then it's like, okay, well, and now we got to kind of got to keep going. And it's I mean, I'm sure you're gonna be like, you sound a slut crazy. But when I read, whenever I read uh, a Guild Hunter book and then I'm like outside walking, I like will look up at the clouds and be like, but like, what if there were angels just flying? Like, what if Ilium was just like floating through with his like blue wings with edged in silver? Or like, what if I just saw Leda? Um, there is a really skinny um square building that's mad tall that you can see from pretty much anywhere in the city like i've been in different parts in different boroughs and like depending on where you are if you have a sight line into manhattan you can kind of see this like sort of and i often think of like like what if that was the tower and like what what does that mean and it's it's we it mean you're in it was a little weird it was a little weird that i'm just like oh yeah I mean, you might also be like, actually, no, Esther, I too live in New York and think the same thing. Like, what if we just saw angels like floating all over Central Park because they can or whatever. Um, (laughs) But I feel like and I say this because in this book specifically, uh, I mean, I guess there is there are a few shit happens and Manhattan has to be you know, is empty. There's, you know, and Elena mentions, you know, like how weird it was seeing her, the city she knows being just like completely devoid of people. And as I was reading that, it immediately made me think of like the few times, I mean, I work, my office, my job's offices are in Midtown. Um, If you've ever been to New York City, uh, you know where that and you know it well, you know where that is. If you've never been to New York City, you're like, girl, Midtown, what? Think Macy's, think Herald Square, think where they do, you know, where you just think Macy's. I'm right by there. And I had to go into the city, I believe in, I don't think I, I think I went right at the beginning of April. I think I had a doctor's appointment that was still in person. Um because I needed to get like blood work done and seeing the streets like empty in a way I've never seen before right I used to work at Starbucks and had to be at work at five in the morning um so I'd be leaving my house I like 
you know, three something in the morning because I took public transportation and I worked in Manhattan, but lived in the Bronx. Anyway, the city was, you know, pretty empty because, you know, between, I mean, clubs, bars closed by four. So between four and six, it's that weird, like, really no one's out, right? Like, um, you start to see the pick up of people around after the six o'clock mark because people people start working at six, six thirty, seven. But there is that like slight there or there was that slight slight lull. It's real small. And even then even then when I think of that and then when I think of the the things I saw in April and then early May no because the 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 sheer emptiness which is weird for new york like if you've ever been to the city you know that like when i like humanity on every like an overflow of people like if if just what and so to see it just so so barren and so quiet right because also people were just not going outside like they were like you know and you literally were just going out if you absolutely had to it so when she mentions it in the book as opposed to when I first read it where I thought I imagined what that looked like but had no idea couldn't have ever known because I hadn't experienced it and I feel like once you've experienced something like that then you can look back and be like who yeah that is I see I see the differences between what I thought it was and what it actually was and so rereading it now it was like ma'am tell me about I mean seeing Times Square with like three people walking around like what that is what like and I think one of the reasons why it struck me so much um in this reread is because I feel like Nalini also very much captures that feeling of like how strange that would feel to a New Yorker how strange that would feel to a city that quote-unquote never sleeps that quote-unquote is always 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 on 10 almost you know what I mean so this specific because I feel like this one specifically um because of some of the things that happened in this book in some ways felt a little like ooh, ah, this is this is a very you know I mean clearly paranormal fictionalized version of like what we're dealing with right now and if the thought of that makes you like want to scream and run for the hills I totally get it I totally get it um but I also think that um fiction right allows us you one of the things sorry you're probably like hey where is she going I cannot follow this path that her brain is going on it's fine because sometimes i can't follow my other but i feel like oftentimes fiction allows us to from a sort of emotionally safe distance experience and or see moments periods emotion situations and you are able to then process it from a 
a, a, a place of distance that feels safer, right? And in this case, some of it, some of the scenes, there wasn't that distance. There was, it was like, oh, <laughs> I know this book was was not written this year, um, but damn, damn, because you, you know, she captured those those moments those feelings when you're just like how did we get here and it's just it's a very specific feeling of like or not maybe it's not a very specific feeling i i mean that just that un- uncertainty that and not ambivalence, that's the wrong word, but just that unease, right? Even as you're trying to convince yourself that things are going to turn out fine, that lingering unease, just there, underneath the surface, underneath everything you do, um, which, <laughs> um, fun times, love it, it's great. I feel like we see some of that really, really well in this book. Um, which, again, I can understand if some of you are like, ooh, really? Okay, so don't want to read it then. I mean, you know, okay, take a moment. Take a breath. You know, read it during the daytime only. <laughs> um, but I really... I feel like this book also, because we go back to Raphael and Elena, who are an established couple, and... We know that they're together. We're, we know that by the end of the book, they're not going to like break up. They're still going to be together. And so instead, we're not... We don't also have to deal with the, oh my God, will these two end up together or will something ruin you know, their path to being each other's HEAs? They're each other's HEAs. We are seeing their HEA in in action they are happily you know they're happily ever after i mean technically there are other emotions because life isn't just a bubble of happiness once you find the one um even once you find the one life still keeps on happening and crazy shit happens good things bad things ugly things strange things kind of fun things you know all of that and so by bringing us back to these two as our main characters we as readers know that we're getting we aren't what's the word i had it and then it ran away like a little bitch because we're with the two of them we know we have that certainty about the couple everything else can be up in the air and there can be question marks and oh my god what's gonna happen here what's the but we know that these two are together together and whatever is happening is going to you know make them stronger not you know they're gonna be you know little like ooh, what what if this leads to but ultimately because again from its novel we know that this is just gonna effectively work to make them an even stronger couple because they will have gone through these things together and come out on the other side um so i really 
enjoy that because I think if we had this book a from anyone else's viewpoint it wouldn't work as well because we really need to be with Raphael and Elena to understand a lot of the things that happen within this book because as I mentioned last week um Nalini really does show you the world through the characters she's got on the page so whoever we are sort of with in that book is how we're seeing the world so in this case we're seeing the world through Raphael and Elena of course there's all the other characters but our main point of view come from these two characters and so much of what happens in this book really directly ties to the two of them so if we were in anyone else's sort of you know shoes it would be weird it would work it would it just would it wouldn't it would be bad um and so I I'm pretty sure because I think by Archangel's Lee I think when I started reading Guild Hunter, because Guild Hunter, I started reading after Psy Changeling. So th- this series, I did start with the first book. So by the time I got through Jason's book, um, I think I got to that one and then had to wait because this book six wasn't out. And I remember kind of being like, damn it, should have read the other ones a little bit slower, but couldn't. So I had to wait for this one. And so when I got it, I was like, oh my God, Raphael and Elena again? Okay. And was like, you know, blown away. Um, and really sort of was like, oh, because this book ends and this book, I feel like this book answers about some of the questions that we've had from book one, but literally is like, okay, I've answered a big question But that answer is now spawned a multitude of questions. And you're you're now looking at me, you know, like, wait, what does this all mean? Where are we going? What is happening? Oh, my God. Right. I think that this book in some ways really sort of sets up with the next, you know, pretty much everything up until the one that came out last year before Archangel Sun, I feel like the setup for a lot of that it happens in in this book and then we sort of see it all play out in the next so i mean this was book six and the last one was book 12 so seven eight nine ten eleven wow i couldn't you know what you laugh be like wow math not your strong suit you're right you're right reading words much better with them on the other hand, not words, not, you know, numbers. <laughs> not is good. Um, not is good. So I feel like that's about all I can say, kind of. I feel like after that, it's kind of like spoil, spoil, or ish, maybe, perhaps. Anyway, that's all I'm going to talk about in the spoiler free portion. Then I will pause, I will come back. You will come back. And we're going to spoil this. Spoil it. I don't know why I did that. Okay. See ya. All right. So now it's time for spoilers. Okay. So again, if spoilers are not your jam, you know, you might want to skip. But if spoilers 
bring you joy, bring you peace, or <laughs> you've read the book, in which case you know what happens. Please listen along. You can also, you know, like be in conversation with me, but like in your house, like kind of sort of like imaginary because like I won't be there, but I kind of will be because my voice will be there. Anyway, so Archangel's Legion, right? It's Raphael, it's Elena. They're, you know, we're with them and the shit is getting cray cray, right? This book um, starts off with something real crazy happening, the falling. It's insane. Birds fall from the sky, which I love birds. So the thought of like, just birds just falling from the sky and dying would make makes me really sad. But like, who else has wings and flies? Angels. So they too fall from the sky. Ooh, no, terrible. Um, and so already the book starts with like, shit, something's going on. Is this tied to a crackhead over, you know, Mrs. Mrs. you know bringer of death lee lee juan or is it something else and what i think this book does really sort of well we've already heard mention of you know the cascade right we know that the cascade is you know an event that happens that fun like base mainly affects archangels and can you know sort of fundamentally change things but there isn't enough information Callianne is awake so she can tell us some information but still not that much and we just know that like archangels gain new powers whatever whatever and she can get a little bit cray cray a little bit weird well this is the book that really sort of bring drives that point home and lets us know that this is not like a regular regular cascade (laughs) it's like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck so li juan you know li juan she you know can infect people she can basically make zombies gross nasty um neha has she has control over like fire and ice i think uh elijah like basically like big cats and birds of prey he can communicate with them essentially so they can be like an additional fighting force and i think favashi is rumored to be able to like manage the wind somehow um i'm trying to remember what astad and titus are both i don't really because that's the other thing like no archangel wants another archangel to know like what new powers they're they're getting because like you know want to keep that sort of secret kind of in reserve and so we've got all this going on right and what we're realizing is that because Raphael a has always been honorable but in recent you know certain things have happened where he's sort of the focus and I say that because Raphael may not say or he may not be like, I'm the leader of the cadre, but he has a level of honor to his dealings um, that it is clear that he is sort of the, the, the leader. Of course, the other archangels would probably be like, I'm the leader, but we're really seeing that no there's he is very much um 
the focus and it a lot of it has to do with like i mean he is the son of two archangels no other archangel like no other member of the cadre is the son of two archangels like they may have had actually it never mentions like if anyone else had an arcane arc an archangelic parent so that might not even be like he might actually be the only one up there we i mean they've all been around for so long that no one's really talking about parents and all that jazz because like eh, what is a parent to an immortal i well but they do like there are bonds of those kinds but we never really hear we know neha's a mother but we never hear a conversation of like who her mother was so it could be that you know those parents either have perished or have you know gone to their sleep which is them just being like, I'm I'm tired of being alive. And, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna find a, a spot in the ground or wherever and just never wake up again. But aside from the fact that he is the child of two archangels, he is someone who, you know, didn't kill the human that came and like, made him feel like, Lee Juan did. Lee Juan was just like, oh yeah, I met that man who could have like, I don't know, but he made me a little weak, so I killed him. And he's like, oh, that's not what he, that's not what Raphael did. He, you know, instead, you know, falls in love with Elena and is like, no, I want to. So he has retained, I feel like, a core, there is a level of humanity to him in his actions, especially now that Elena is in his life, in a way that I don't think any of the other archangels have, because they really just, they, I mean, none of them are surrounded, none of them have people in their inner court that are like literal humans, you know what I mean? And Elena is no longer a human, but like, she, she was like a, you know, 14 months ago, so it hasn't been that long, it's been a really, like, like not even a blink of an eye like a a twitch um and so her humanity is obviously very 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 prevalent and present and that is being sort of that energy is being introduced into Raphael's court in a way that we aren't seeing happen in any other archangel's court and I think of um in I think it's right at the beginning of the second book, right? Where, like, when, what, is it the beginning of the second book or the end of the second book? Whenever Elena finally is able to see um, Sarah and Elena's in the refuge, this is the place where only angels are allowed in and Sarah is a human, right? And Raphael and Dimitri have, like, there's a sort of throwaway comment about, like, you know, Elena is changing them. And then fast forward to um, book four, Dimitri's book. There's one scene where it's like Ashwini, Elena, and Honor are hanging out. And Dimitri and Raphael again are just like, we are changing, right? And it makes sense. These are men who have walked solitary paths in terms of romantic relationships the seven obviously have that's a that's a brotherhood but that you know that isn't the same as a romantic partner all of them who have you know up until Raphael gets with Elena I mean Demetria had had a wife and we all know what happened there 
Ilium had a mortal lover and that didn't work out and he had to see that not only know that she, her memory was stripped of him she had never remembered loving him but also see her die because she's mortal so really the only one of the seven who has a partner is Galen right because he is just me the rest of them you know are single and you move through life very differently and see things very differently when you aren't also taking into consideration the viewpoint of this other person. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we've got two of, you know, so now we don't just have Galen with Jessamy giving potentially a different viewpoint because Galen might see things obviously as the weapons master, but Jessamy, especially with her, you know, the repository of knowledge that she has, will be like, well, what about this? But she's also an angel who lives in the refuge. So by introducing both Elena and Honor into this court, this world, the, the, the way in which things are seen are different, right? In some ways, you could say Elena is, you know, like humanity's champion for within the immortal world within the immortal world and i say humanity as in mortals right because she is you know was just mortal her whole you know her friends her family um her entire you know support system is mortal so she's always going to sort of think of how events can affect them in a way that Raphael and his seven would not have thought of because they had no connection to that world they saw I mean humans were obviously in New York chilling living their lives but like I don't know you so like I might be sad that like we had a bad big battle and you died but it is very different when it's like oh I can put names faces and whatever to these people or I can have someone be like no we have to consider x y and z because like Y'all are all going to survive this, but they are, are not. So book six is sort of where we realize not only is the cascade here, but it means that things are going to, things are definitely going to lead to war. And this battle, which when I, I remember for sure when I first read the book, when I started reading, it was like, oh, this is the battle. And then uh, now as I'm reading, I'm like, no, this is the first of many battles. This is sort of the starting, you know, the opening salvo into a series of battles. Because Li Juan isn't just like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, bitches cry cry. She's like, I, I am a god. I am a goddess. And it's like, no, you're just an archangel. She's like, nope, I'm a god. And it's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Some people might disagree. And she's like, you must bow before me and my, you know, zombies. And I was like, oh, no, no one wants to bow before you and your zombies. So clearly, if that is the case, and obviously archangels have an arrogance, you know, um, to the, you know, infinite degree, they aren't going to be like, oh, it's cool. And it's just also like, who wants to live on a planet where there's just like zombies everywhere? That's kind of gross. I mean, if you're the angel of death or whatever, or the goddess of death, if that's how you style yourself, that sounds cool. But for everyone else, not cool. Not cool at all. Actually, quite gross. Quite awful. Ugh. Just imagine. Little zombies running around, sucking blood. Ugh, gross. Ugh. Don't. Anyway. So, then, 
that means that we have to have, obviously, battles to see who wins. And one of the things that I think she does, Nalini does really well, is, um, and here's the thing, right? These are romance novels. We all know that they have a happy ending. But she is such a good writer. There is that, like, moment where I'm like, oh, my God. Are are you going to, are they, they're dying? You're going to kill them? Is that what's happening? And I'm, like, sobbing. And then, of course, like, you know, things work out. And I'm like, bitch, the roller coaster, the roller coaster of emotions. I do not like, I mean, I do like it. Because if I didn't like it, I wouldn't read it. But, like, god damn. And that is just sort of, like, in terms of, like, the battle, right? This book also does something else else that's also really interesting when we meet elena right she's a human who's hunter born who whose family had a very very tragic you know had tragedy befall them a fucking vampire murdered her two older siblings you know didn't end up killing her mother but the trauma was so much that her mother killed herself horrible but then is it book three I think it's book three. El- Elena's half-sister, because her father goes on to remarry and have two more daughters, on top of the two who are surviving, one of his other daughters is now hunter-born. And that is a gene that is passed down. So all of a sudden, at that book, we realize, wait a minute. If Elena and Eve are both hunter-born and they had different mothers, then the common thread here is Papa. And Papa has been an asshole about this. So what the fuck are we missing? We realize at that point, as a reader, something else is up. One other thing that we find out before we get to this book. She, Elena goes to, because she even, she thought when she was a teen that her father just got rid of all the memories, all the things that were tied to her mother and it turns out they've been in a storage unit this whole time but their relationship is so so broken down that you know it takes her being almost 30 before she finds this information out and when she shows um Raphael a blanket that her mother says like her what would have been Elena's grandmother gave her he's kind of like the blood in this and she's kind of like there was no blood like this wasn't homeboy didn't get blood on this and he's like no 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 whoever sewed this or whatever like there's an echo that he as an immortal can sense in a way that elena can and i remember the first time i read through the series it was like hmm, but i didn't think much of it i do remember in the reread being like oh the fact that elena's hair can't hold hair hair dye that should tell us something because she's human that's what we're told so if you're human why can't your hair hold hair dye what does that mean what's happening so all of a sudden we get to book six and we find out elena elena's father has a very negative reaction to his youngest daughter coming home with a bruised um with a black eye and of 
And her older sister, Evie's older sister, Amy, who doesn't talk to Elena, right? Throughout the book, the interactions have been Elena with Eve. Amy hangs back because Amy is older and does isn't Hunter born and probably sides with her mother and is able to understand that like there's a really fraught relationship between her father and her oldest half sister and potentially she may even look as like Elena's maybe the reason why things are going to shit in the family which isn't the case but you're a teen so you might be like whoa it's easier to hate my or be distant from my older half sister when instead of like being like it's my parents who are the problem so she is the one that reaches out to elena because she realizes her father is acting irrational and he has a freak out moment and basically tells elena like you know seeing you know a woman's head ripped off from her body and she's kind of like wait what what do you and in that moment it's like hold up you have a you know what that is like and this is when we find out that the reason that these two that both elena and eve are underborn right they got it from the father is because his mother not the woman elena has always thought was his mother who i'm assuming must have been his father is you know must have been his stepmother but that his actual biological mother hit the woman who gave birth to him was not only hunter born but a guild hunter and three vampires who were pissed that she did her job tracked her down to her house and ended up killing her in front of her four-year-old son who like tried to stop and they just threw him and he states that like you know he broke some bones and couldn't move and basically had to be helpless as this is done. So, of course, Elena, both Elena, I think what's really interesting, the way in which this is revealed is that both we, like Elena, are completely shocked and surprised, right? Because, again, we realize, okay, they're Hunter Bourne, so, but it's like, oh, not only was he, you know, it isn't like it skipped a bunch of generations. It just skipped him, right? That's it. So all of a sudden, the the her interactions with her father, the past, everything she's believed, all of a sudden she's seeing it from a completely different light. Because she's now understanding that her father's reactions are rooted in the trauma that he obviously never sort of worked through he just sort of survived what's really interesting is that elena and beth her younger sister actually have his mother's names right her middle name is parker which was his mother's last name and her mother grandma what would have been her grandmother on her father's side her name was elizabeth and beth like she's named after her and she also meant there's a comment there's a scene where, where, as she's explaining this to um, Raphael, where it's like, he didn't even give that name to his two firstborn, like to his first two daughters. And so she said, he must have finally felt like safe, like we aren't, my daughter, they're not Hunter born or, or not, like we're just, 
it's skipping again, right? Like, it skipped him, it's skipping my kids, and then, of course, you know, the tragedy. So, we've got this, like, huge reveal, which, which I think is also interesting because in the first, in book one, you're like, fuck this motherfucker, right? Um, Raphael, I think, also stands in for the reader and that he can't stand Jeffrey. And if he thought that the man's death wouldn't, you know, destroy Elena, homeboy would be, would bend it, right? And it's like, as a reader, there are parts of me that are like, yeah, this motherfucker. But I'm also like, ooh, but like, there are reasons why you are garbage. Oh, okay. All right. Mm shit uh, don't like it though don't like it though but hmm i guess i mean i still don't want to forgive you i don't think that's possible but like you just aren't this kind this level of a awful terrible human to your daughter out of nowhere it's rooted in you know serious trauma still garbage garbage that you act this way but now we're starting to understand we're starting to sort of peel back the layers and be like oh ah this is not two-dimensional because again people are complex multi-layered multifaceted full of contradictions yeah so we're seeing elena having to grapple with a complete like what she thought she knew about the past now with more information being like wait hold up now what does that past look like with this new information and then we're seeing um elena and rafael as a couple having to still work through and navigate through those same kinds of issues elena you know the rejection from her father and the abandonment from her mother is huge and she is constantly wondering like even if not consciously like well what what will be the thing that will make Raphael leave me and Raphael is kind of like oh how do I like I wish I could slap her parents or beat them up or whatever and he's also a man who like his mother he tried to stop his mother who was going insane and she left him broken in a field for you know like he didn't wait like he didn't get up two days later seasons passed while he lay on the ground that's a long time so they both have you know scars and trauma and issues that they have to sort of deal with and yes he's a a being with you know a, a centuries-old being with power unimaginable but that doesn't like negate the fact that he has to deal with you know shit that happened in quote-unquote his childhood that shit that you know the the pain that was inflicted by the person who the one person that you expect won't ever hurt you right so it's really so we've got all of this sort of emotional stuff inner you know inner relationship kind of stuff happening and then the backdrop of course is like you know war 
And as I mentioned in the non-spoiler section, um, <clears throat> because Lee Hwan and Kara Simnon um, are sort of trying to get this virus into, Amer- you know, North America so like they can take over his territory, some of the, there are definitely moments throughout where I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is, feels reminiscent of, of the COVID. Um, and obviously it's not reminiscent, like, obviously it's not entirely like, ooh, word for whatever, because it's like, we don't got no vampires or angels or archangels. But yes, like empty cities, streets that were teeming with life and now are barren. Um, everyone hoping that when it's over, we can go back to normal. And one of the things that I think is like, if you're you're like, ooh, I don't know, like, am I hit too close to home? This is also a romance novel. So there is a happy ending and things go back to normal for now. So sort of like how there's happily ever after and happily for now. Think of it as like things are normal-ish for now. In a way that like we don't really have like right now in real life. Or maybe we do. Maybe we don't on a, you know, on a cultural global level. But personally, I'm sure that... There are people going through things that do have a happy ending or do have at least closure as opposed to it just being like a never ending or not ending uncertainty. But at the same time, when you look at things broad, you know, big picture, the uncertainty is just so, so prevalent that it's really hard to be like, oh, yeah, like I could just ignore that. Like, no. So, the other thing that I, like, really was like, oh, okay, right? In this book, right, we've met all of Raphael's seven, as in we've been introduced to them. But we really start to see the different ways in which they work to create a group uh like a fighting force or just a a cohesive sort of sounding board for Raphael in that we see like because each member has a different personality and we're seeing different glimpses of both like when they're just like shooting the shit and when it's like we have to be serious. The strengths and the weaknesses and the way that they you utilize those, right? Like Nasir, you you know, Nasir in concert with Jean Vier and Ashwini is able to create mayhem in a way that like once you get to his book, you're like, that t- completely makes sense. And I think it's also really it helps in that you're in we know that like we've been introduced to him or whatever but this way we're like seeing this one side of him which isn't obviously the entirety of who he is but when once we get to his book you can then sort of go back to this one and be like oh okay all right i see you know why he like once you get to his book you understand more of the way he acted in this book but also like things like Dimitri, you would think 
Galen being the spy man, not spy master, sorry, weapons master, you know, whatever. He trains all of the troops would be the one sort of doing the battle strategy. And it's Dimitri, actually. Dimitri is, you know, the one who is like the strategist. Um, you, We've seen Ilium just be so playful that we forget that he is not just like, uh, you know, ha ha rah rah kind of angel this man is as much a soldier as anyone else and so seeing that other side of Ilium right is fascinating uh Aldon when we're introduced to him is 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 still very much trying to hide from living real life we start to see in this book that this is when he realizes he needs to start living again not just surviving not just like you know literally breathing in air and you know, being taking in sustenance to stay alive, but to actually live, right? To have fun, to, you know, feel emotions, the good ones and the bad ones and the sad ones. And all of these things, right, make each of these characters even more, to me, it felt like not only do you get excited, like it felt like I'm giving you this so that you'll you'll be hungry for more, right? Which I think a good author does that. They create secondary characters that you're just like, holy crap, I want more. Show me more. Give me more. Give me their books. Give me, you know, give us more of this fascinating character you've created or characters or cast of characters. And I think that seeing them in battle together, working together, trying to figure out how to defeat, you know, zombie weirdo queen, weirdo queen is a really wonderful way of showing different facets of each character, right? Even though, it, like, the backdrop is, like, literal war and it ain't cool. It's not like fun, but it is really sort of an interesting. I think because so much has to be done in the lead up to battle and within battle. um, And being able to see them go back and forth between being fully focused and then the brief moments of levity. I, I had made a note that. There are a few moments that are really like witty and like funny, which seems unexpected, but it's also like when things are this bleak, you have to almost turn to laughter and find the moments, the pieces of joy within, because if not, like you're not, it's, you're, you're just gonna crumble underneath the weight of you know the dis the the desperation the the rage the the pain the 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 sheer just weight of it all can you know so you have to like look for those sparks of like oh so this is funny right and it's funny because it's like funny not just because it's funny but also because of like when it's happening right and it was just like something that I was like oh yes. Because I don't specifically, like, 
go, oh, books need to be funny. But I love when it's like, I'm like, huh, I cackled, I laughed, I snorted, I chuckled. Um, I like that. And we do, we do get that in this book. I feel like a lot of it happens with, you know, between Elena and Raphael, but it's not just them, like, I mean, a lot of it is them, like, Elena being like, excuse me while I stab myself in the eyes and disembowel myself while I'm at it, like, what? Um, Or, who would then keep me amused at the ball? I may otherwise be driven to pluck out my own eyes, and I believe you are quite fond of them. Which is both, like, Raphael saying this, it's like, it's funny, but it's also like, aww, it's like, that's cute, that you're like, I don't want to get, you know, like, jokingly, but, you know, the, the... this would not be good um and I think the other thing that I thought about is like even even within like literal battle against evil right zombie zombie monster queen um you have to laugh at certain things you have to have those moments of levity um and I that I think also stuck out to me because as we are constantly being bombarded with so many sad, shitty, and awful stories, um, both uh, on the home front and outside of the home front, right? Like bad things are happening in the cities we live in, bad things are happening in the country we live in bad things are happening in, you know, the continents we live in. Bad things are happening, you know, more or less around the world. There is civil unrest in most places. There is, you know, very authoritarian type responses from governments. There is, like I said, a pandemic. There's, there are just many, many, many things that we're sort of being slammed with on a constant basis like within a 24-hour news cycle girl like it's a mess and so being reminded that within all of that not only should you find not only can you find joy and levity but that you should because those moments will help you to then like get through that day that week that month that's a really important lesson for us right now and it's all it's not an easy one it's hard it's hard you might wake up and be having a pretty great day and check social media and hear any number of things and immediately be like so the world is shit huh so what the fuck huh and on one hand, some people might say, well, just don't ever check social media. Just don't ever watch the news. But on the other hand, a lot of people will say, and I would include myself in this group, being like, if you're not informed of the things that are happening, you're going to get taken by surprise when things, you know, real, really spiral out. So you want to have some level of being informed to, you know, being attuned to what's happening so that you can, you know, plan but at the same time, yeah, being inundated with it all the time without any sort of rest or respite from it is really bad. And so 
even within the things that are just so finding the things that are funny finding the things that are humorous that give you moments of just like oh okay you know we're we're doing we're doing okay and maybe it's not even like we're doing like great but it's like we're getting through and if we're getting through that day that moment then you know we can then get through the next day the next moment and so on and so forth and then you can look back and be like oh x amount of days have passed and somehow you know we've gotten through it right granted you know it's not i was gonna say it's not you know granted it's hard it's a hard one but then i also think that's one of the reasons why we turn to romance novels right real life is is you know try humping us um and it's uncomfortable and we don't like it and so we're like let me let me dive into this romance novel and live in another 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 world another time another place where there is resolution right where i can see hope on the page and it can help me hopefully find hope you know outside of the page um and so i i mean like i said i'm a stan I am biased. I love all these books. I am very, very excited for Archangel Sun, which comes out November 24th, 2020, in case you weren't sure. Um, in case you weren't aware, um, I've pre-ordered it, pre-ordered it um, on Apple Books or whatever, and I cannot wait. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be a weirdo and be up at midnight, like looking at my phone, like, is it there yet? Is it there yet? Is it there yet? <laughs> and then potentially, you know what? I should probably just like, oh, wait, that's Thanksgiving week. It's probably a Tuesday. So if I took the Wednesday off to read. Or no, I should take the Tuesday off and then I just work the Monday and the Wednesday. And the rest of the week, we're not even open be his thanksgiving Ooh, i'm gonna do that and you should too um if you can just take the time off because you deserve a break and i feel like if you start reading this book when it comes out you'll probably not be able to go to sleep and then you'll be just too tired to work anyway so just like that's fine you should do it should totally do it um, do I have anything else I want to talk about? No, I think this pretty much, you know, sort of captures it all. Like I said, I think this book, this series, I think, does a really good job of capturing the essence of New York. And in some ways, it does feel a little like, oof, this is happening while within a pandemic. Ugh. But at the same time, it's not, like, exactly the same. It's not... The virus's blood 
It's transmitted through blood, not the air. Um, the leaders, Raphael and them, are actually competent. Um, so that's also kind of cool. You can read it and be like, oh, wow, this is what could happen if people did their job and we're good at it. As opposed to, you know, the fuckery we've got now. And if you're like, oh, Esther, like, I'm not in the U.S. and I'm listening and, like, our nation's leaders have actually done their job, then you will see, like, the parallels. of like, oh, look, like Raphael, our people, you know, did what they needed to do. Um, oh, and also thinking, if you aren't, you know, if you're listening from outside of the U.S., and let's say you, you, and you haven't ever been to New York City, this book, I think, really, like I said, it captures the city really well. And so if you read it and you're like, oh, like if at any point you read it and you're like, is that really like what New York is like? Like, or is this just like an imagining of it? I mean, again, it's a paranormal world. We don't actually have vampires or angels or archangels, but certain things like, I think in this one, Ellie goes to get coffee and there's a guy who set up like, a rooftop coffee slash bagel spot because he realizes angels will also like coffee and like they don't need to go all the way to street level you can serve them on the roof and i definitely remember the first time reading that being like yes that is very much something that's very much something people in new york would do if we had people who flew i mean we already have rooftop bars patios you know, and there's a plethora of them, right? No, there isn't a shit ton of space on the literal ground, but rooftops, there, there's, there's so many of them because buildings everywhere. So why not take advantage of that unused real estate? So because of that, I'm like, I could totally see being like, yeah, why, why not have like some bougie, fancy and I can see both like bougie fancy like you know lattes on a rooftop for angels but also like you know bodega type coffee with like you know a bacon egg and cheese on a roll on the rooftop or there was something else I remember being like ooh just this idea that like the people like I mean, the only thing that I was like, oh, this is definitely a book, like, fiction. There's an evacuation of Manhattan, and everyone, like, is pretty... But I think what helps in that situation, like, we've been told throughout the series that, like, humans are definitely, like, yeah, vampires and angels are scary, so if they tell me to do shit, I'm, you know? And there, um, there are three humans, apparently, that try to um rob a store while the eva- when the evacuation has started and alien dumps all three in the Hudson and then eventually pulls them out and the, the tower is basically like anyone else that we have to dump the water we're not saving so like if we gotta come get you because you acting a fool you're gonna die because we're gonna dump you in the in the river we're not gonna fly you to safety because we told you to get out so I feel like that is like you know not obviously the same because we don't have that but the idea that everyone is banding together to help each other during this very like dire moment 
very much feels like this city, even though the city is enormous and has right millions of people. Uh, I definitely was like, yeah, this this feels correct. This feels real. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to say about this week's book. Um, I'm going to pause here and then I'm going to come back and just quickly talk about, um, fall romance bingo. All right. All right. Okay. So this episode is a little long cause you know, I like to talk a lot. Anyway, um, I mentioned, I believe in the last episode that I'm doing the fall romance bingo and, um, Danny's bookshelf and she's the same on both Twitter and Instagram. And then um, Jen, who's JQ17 on Twitter and uh, Free Whiskey Reader, or no, not Free, Fire Whiskey Reader on Instagram. They created the bingo and it's a cute card. I haven't filled any more additional squares. Um, so far, I've got Banter, Make You Hungry, and Pet. But. Um, what I was going to say is that you should definitely like be checking out to see what other people are posting. And I was also going to be like, well, I'm pretty sure people have wrecked me stuff on Twitter, but I can't remember. So if you have any recommendations and you want to like tell me them on Twitter, then I can fill that square. Right. And I also was wondering like if people out there want to be like, here is a non-regency historical. Um, I'm sure I can find them. It's just my brain is being, you know, slow. Um, and technically today's book, I'm like, would it fit any of these esquels? I mean, I don't know if you could do royalty since he's an archangel, but it's not really, I don't, I don't think you can. I mean, you could try, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, actually, I don't think it would fit any sad face. Uh, well, it's not another world. No, there's set in another world, but I, well, maybe, perhaps, perhaps uh, you could do that. But yeah, this, um, seems like a lot of fun. Um, and I like that it's like fall and not a month. Because I have more time. Um, because, you know, I don't know. The month ones are intimidating for me right now. Maybe, like, one day I'll get better at that. But right right now, right now, like, not as much. I was a little, a little scared. Just a, a smidgen. Uh, too intimidate for me. Um, so I'm not ready for that. And trying to think i think that's I literally think that's it for this week i have no idea what book will be next week's book um it'll be a book obviously which one john will say so check back next week have a good one you know stay hydrated i know it's like getting cool now but like listen you do not want to have a dehydration headache had that one like three days ago and I was like this is garbage and then I was like oh maybe it's because I haven't actually had water all day like an idiot don't be don't don't do what I did don't do what I did be good to yourself 
Um, I was going to say treat yourself. That's not even a treat. Just don't let yourself get so dehydrated that you don't have a headache. Because it sucks. It really does suck. So yeah, drink. That's that's my tip. Drink water. Read a book or a romance. I was going to say a romance novel. Like That's not a book. No, what I meant to say was like read a book or a graphic novel or a comic book. Or if you want like to read comics but don't want to go out and get comic books webtoon webtoon the app free free comics can't go wrong um all right that's 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 all i got for y'all's this week and i will see you here for me i always say i will see y'all next week like you can see me when you can't uh you will hear from me next week okay bye